morning, afternoon, and evening, and welcome to the 8311Cast, your premier Midwestern-based sports podcast, bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. I'm your hosts, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and Wyatt Teeter, as we talk to you about college basketball, the MLB, the NBA, the NHL, and of course, our signature segments, Mike Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions, here on episode 175. Fun fact from the Chicago Cubs land. On April 23rd, 2022, the Cubs scored a 21 runs against the Pittsburgh Pirates uh, to win that game 21-0. In the next 12 games since, they have scored 21 total runs combined over those 12 games. Now, while this seems like something really bad, I'm going to flip it and say instead of the Cubs being really good this year, which nobody expected, um... They're also not mediocre, which is fine, because then we can hold on to the name of the lovable losers. Because if we're just lovable mediocrity, I feel like that's not cool. But if we're just going to absolutely tank, I'm okay with that, because lovable losers. I mean, there's only so hard you can tank, though, when the Reds and Pirates are also in your division. Like, those might be three of the four worst teams in baseball at the end of the year, and they're all in the same division. Apparently the Reds are the worst, if I'm not the mistaken. The Reds are really bad. The Reds are 5-23 five five and 23 entering play on on uh, Monday. More on that in a little bit. But, yeah, the, the Reds are bad. The Pirates are, are doing okay this year. They're 11-16. and 16, um, So they could handle it. But the Cubs are 9-18. and 18. They're really bad. Yeah. That could be a, a really bad um, bottom of that division for sure. Score more runs. That that's like that's like less than two runs a game. You're not gonna win many games scoring less than two runs a game. Though the Twins already have two one to nothing victories this year. So, you know, wow. if you don't give up any runs, you don't need to score that many. So I guess not. But yeah, that's that's the way math works. One is greater than zero. Exactly. But what is a little bit less blurry is some of the fake news and rumors that you might see. Uh, around, you know, uh, like Twitter rumors of, of who's going where to to what university and all of that good stuff. Well, uh, something that was uh, circulating around Twitter late on Saturday afternoon that, albeit I got a little bit excited about, was a report that came out that A.J. Green, the transfer from the University of Northern Iowa... Uh, not, was- not the former Cincinnati Bengal wide receiver? Yeah, not the former Cincinnati Bengal wide receiver and current Arizona Cardinals wide receiver, A.J. Green, uh, but the A.J. Green who plays basketball in Iowa. Uh, he it was, it was rumored that it was an all-but-done deal, uh, that he was um, going to commit to Iowa State. It was all, uh, every, every speculation was that all that was needed was his announcement and that that was going to come on Monday, May 9th, but... According to Chris Williams, everything that he is hearing is that is nowhere close to being a done deal, as A.J. Green has reported that he is going to entertain G League um, offers and seeing if he can pursue that route uh, of a professional career. He has been invited to the G League um, combine that is going on here shortly, and it's his determination will kind of come from his feedback from there, uh, what it looks like, how he's feeling, um, what the scouts are telling him to see, is he, is he ready to go or does he possibly 
could he benefit from another year um, in college? So uh, for all the Cyclone fans that got excited yesterday about that being a done deal and TJ coming through with a really great uh, transfer portal snag with getting AJ Green, um, that is not the case yet. Hold your horses. Uh, let's let's wait a little bit for that to come come to fruition. So just be wary of what you see out there and make sure you stay tuned into the 8311 cast as we will give you all of those updates. Yeah. And the other uh, interesting thing that came out of college uh, uh, football, basketball, et cetera, you could argue it's both um, uh, is some clarification on name, image, and likeness. We've been talking about this a lot over the past month, especially since the Tyrese Hunter story broke. So today um, the NCAA issued some new guidelines slash clarifications about name, image, and likeness. They're not new rules. Um, They didn't change any rules, just some clarifications. Um, Essentially, what it means is that there are new guidelines um, that are focused around these um, NIL collectives, etc., that have uh, sprung up, especially um, over the last nine months or so, that are... um, that are essentially paying players to come to their school. Like we saw um, with the, uh, the K state transfer to Miami. Was it pack? Was that Nigel pack? Yeah. Nigel pack. Yeah. Um, So essentially now these guidelines are essentially to crack down on these collectives. um, And they're essentially um, saying that um, all institutions will follow this and these collectives um, cannot directly pay players to come to the school, right? You can't sign deals that say this deal only is in effect if you come to this school, um, um, things like that. And uh, I'm still not sure how they're going to enforce this because, again, they didn't change the rules. So nothing, um, nothing changed. So theoretically, yes, they could go back and enforce violations previously as well. Um, to me, this doesn't do much because nothing changed. I mean, I feel like there's already 20 states, at least, that have laws that would contradict this because it says the NCAA cannot do anything that could um, keep players from getting paid for their, for their name, image, and likeness. And it would seem like this is you know, something that would be illegal in those states and leave the NCAA open to litigation. Um, so... I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. To me, this doesn't do anything. With this, it, don't don't get your hopes up. Yeah, they've got a they've got a gigantic hole in the side of the ship, and they've got a can of Flex Seal, and they're trying to patch <laughs> it with that. That's what this looks like to me. Hey it, man, that, that stuff that stuff can work. There's been people who've made entire boats out of it. The ship is sinking faster than you can can seal it with Flex Seal. Um, no, we're not sponsored by Flex Seal. Um, yeah, to me, this this doesn't do anything. It's it's the same old, same old. So I don't know. Don't get yeah. Don't get your hopes up. I agree with Kyle there, but we'll see how this affects some of them. I know Iowa State um, now has a, a an NIL collective. I think it's called like the what is it? What is it called? The I Will Collective or something like that. Maybe the Forever like True I Will collective. or I Will or We Will or something like that. But it's basically a bunch of big yeah. donors and boosters getting together, creating a pool of money for this type of situation. So, yeah. So there, there'll be a crackdown on that 
theoretically, for sure. But anyway, there's a lot. Imagine a lot of lawsuits, essentially, is what uh, what this is going to result in. It's, it's going to result in a lot of lawsuits. So the lawyers are going to win. That's all I know. That's the only thing that's guaranteed in all of this is that the lawyers are going to win. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what we know. Um, another thing that we know coming out of Major League Baseball, um, if you remember way back after week one of the season, I brought up a topic um, about – um, did they go back to the juiced balls um, for the 2022 season? I think now a month into the season, um, we've got a fair amount of data on that. And the answer is an absolute resounding no, not at all. Um, offense, um, if you saw um, the tweets from the 8311 cast account and, and my tweets as well, um, playing off that, you see that um, – Offense is down significantly even for April across Major League Baseball. Um, but to me, looking at the data, it seems to suggest that adding a humidor to all the ballparks um, is actually made a bigger difference than the ball. Because according to that, the ball, has, the offense is within, you know, within is very, very similar um, across ballparks that used the humidor last year. Um, there was, um, I think there were like a dozen that used it before this year. Um, and the offense has been about the same in those parks, but batting average has been like 10 points lower and slugging percentage um, even lower than that um, in ballparks that didn't use the humidor last year to this year. Um, so to me, adding that humidor is the biggest difference. Essentially, what that does is, um, so for those of you who don't know what the humidor does, is it makes the baseballs, right, they're stored in that humidor for, I think it's a week um, prior, to, prior to being used. Essentially, it means that the humidity um, and uh, the moisture content of the balls is going to be the same in every ballpark around baseball instead of being um, subject to the conditions um, at said ballpark. So that has, that has really deadened offense, um, which I don't know if that was MLB's desired effect, um, but that seems to have been the result. Um, yeah, we were seeing, and you, you, the players have been talking about this too. They know that, that something is different, so they can't say for sure what, but they definitely know that something um, is different in the ball for Major League Baseball. Do you guys have any thoughts on the ball slash the humidor? I feel like they shouldn't use one because, I, I don't know, that just seems weird to me because the, the actual playing conditions are going to be different in each location, so why bother? But, I mean, if it, if it gives an advantage, I don't know. It keeps it interesting, I guess, but I just feel like it's unnecessary. Yeah, I mean, the, like, the reason they did it was for consistency, right? Like, whether or not, you know, it was good is a different question, but it does add more but consistency. Does it though? Because the you know the change from the the humidity controlled box in the outside air is going to be different in Denver versus in Chicago. So you, I mean, really, I feel like you have even more of a changing condition rather than just letting the balls acclimate to the playing region. I don't know. People that get paid more made that decision. So whatever, whatever they say, right. guys, I guess. I, I don't. I don't quite understand um, the physics of it enough to comment on how the the change in humidity from the humidor to the playing field might matter, I guess. I don't know. But what's happened is it's decreased offense. It's, it's pretty, pretty easy to see that from the data. 
I mean, we'll keep an eye on it throughout the year, but to me, it's it's pretty uh, pretty uh, obvious that there's been a decrease um, in offense due to the humidor specifically. So, I don't know. I don't know. The players don't like it. I mean, offenses have been really bad this year so far. I mean, not just the Cubs offense. There have been some really, really low-scoring offenses this year across baseball. Pitchers have dominated. It's one of the best years for pitching since the, uh, since the year of the pitcher. It was a year that offense was so low that it was called the year of the pitcher. And the offense in this year is on par with that. So, um, yeah. We'll keep an eye to see how it develops, um, but it could, could get a little, little strange there. So we will see. I mean, even on the pitching side, the Dodgers have the lowest first-month ERA of a starting rotation in the history of Major League Baseball, I believe, is the tweet I saw today. So, like, right, it's showing up in the pitcher's stats, too, as well as the hitter's stats, that um, this is just a historically dead ball, whether it's the ball of the humid or the ball is dead. So, um, yeah, it's... The last 40 years, it is, for the Dodgers. They're the lowest starters EOA um, in the last 40 seasons through the first month. So uh, we'll see if it changes as the weather warms up, if the humidor starts to have less effect, but something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, the other interesting uh, observations from around MLB that I've found, um, besides the fact that the, NL, the bottom of the NL Central is bad, like we talked about, uh, the things that's actually surprising me the most is in the NL West. Entering play Tuesday, every team in the NL West was above 500, with Arizona in last place at 15 and 14. Um, that 15 and 14 record would put them um, at worst um, in third place in almost every other division in baseball, and would put them in second place um, in in two or three divisions. Um, so, or one or two divisions. So, it's. Uh, yeah, that that's going to be a competitive division, and it's worth keeping and, an eye on. And Arizona, Arizona is also calling up two of their top prospects as well this week, hoping to to add a little bit more more juice to that roster. That is seven and and three in their last ten. Um, they are quickly catching those San Francisco Giants that we had talked about in the season earlier in the episode of, you know, we not everyone thought that the Giants could repeat what they did last year. They started out like that, but then they've been plagued by injuries and and have fallen or dropped three out of ten, or sorry, have only won three out of ten games. Uh, three out of sorry, they're three, three out of their last, last ten. 10. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's another one. Uh, the Mets are playing great. They had a huge uh, late inning rally um, this week, scoring what seven runs in the ninth inning. Yeah, when they were down the by six, yeah. Right. Uh, and and obviously, I mean, no one can overlook what the Twins are seemingly doing this year, just showing that last year was a fluke. They just kind of reloaded, got retooled a little bit. And, I mean, who are these new guys on the, the Twins staff that are pitching pretty well? You've got, right, so the Twins hired... Their, their, their front office, Falvey and Levine, right? They stole one of them from Cleveland, right? And you remember the, the, the sort of pitching pipeline that Cleveland had, right? Where they'd oh, call yeah. up somewhat unknown young pitchers and they'd turn out to be great, right? That's essentially what 
now the twins have that's finally starting to get put together, right? I mean, Joe Ryan they got from the Nelson Cruz trade. Um, so that's a little bit out there. But Josh Winder um, in the starting rotation, he's the first player in MLB history to um, to strike out. I got to find this stat. Um, he is the first pitcher in MLB history through his first career starts to have 15 plus strikeouts, no more than one walk, and a zero ERA since ERA became a stat in 1913. Um, so historically great, essentially, um, through his first two starts. Um, Johan Duran in the bullpen, um, he's one of the Twins' closers. We're sort of doing closer by committee, but he's one of the Twins' closers. He can throw 103 miles an hour. Um, so the, basically the pitching pipeline is um, starting to come together. Um, and this is just the start of it. They have some of their um, even higher-rated prospects and these guys um, still in the minor leagues who could be up later this year or next year as well. So the hope is that the Twins have a pitching pipeline to rival Cleveland's that they had four or five years ago. That's, that's the goal here. I don't know if it'll pan out, but so far they're proving that they knew what they were doing and our patience was warranted. So Exactly. So far it looks, it looks really good. Uh, for the twins, and you know, it's good for Mike. It keeps him in good spirits. Yeah, it does. Uh, I, it, the summer's more fun when your baseball team is good. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah, it's getting tough in Kansas City. Uh, more on that later as we um will get into our write that down prediction. It's fueling my write that down prediction this week. But in the in the near future, right now, what what we have been talking about and uh you know, deciding on, and we kind of collectively came to the same census, and so did everyone else, all the voters, uh, is that Nikola Jokic was named the league's most valuable player. This is his second straight season that he's won it. Um, it he joins Giannis Antetokounmpo with the, uh, as the last two players to win back-to-back MVPs. Uh, Giannis doing it, obviously, the two years prior. Uh, he became the first NBA player to log 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 500 assists in a single season this year, and he averaged career highs in points, rebounds, and he recorded 7.9 assists per game. Um, so they were just a fantastic season. Um, obviously, the Nuggets were very injury-plagued due with Jamal Murray and Michael Porter, but Nikola Jokic was the definition of that team and just a phenomenal performance all year from him. Uh, also coming out is that the Phoenix Suns uh, head coach, uh, I'm blanking on his first name right now, uh, Williams, Monty Williams, there it is, uh, wins coach of the year as well. So uh, it was, he picked up 81 out of 100 total first place votes. Uh, coming in second place was Taylor Jenkins of the Memphis Grizzlies and Eric Spolstra of the Miami Heat coming in third. Uh, Williams guided the Suns to the NBA leading 64 and 18 mark this past season. So with that, the NBA playoffs continues to steam along. And really the highlight of round two so far is how close and competitive these games are compared to the first round. And it's something that you might might expect. I mean, obviously these teams are that you're getting closer to their level of competitiveness that they were playing at the season. And the stars are really uh, showing out here as well. 
Uh, let's start off in the East with the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Boston Celtics. Uh, this game, or this series, I should say, rather, is at 2-1 to one right now with the Bucks holding the advantage. Giannis bounced back from a abnormally poor Game 2 performance uh, to drop 42-12-8 and eight, uh, in Game 3. It was a fr- frantic final second as Milwaukee ended up pulling out the 103-101 to 101 victory over the Boston Celtics. Game two, or game four, I should say, rather, is airing on uh, May 9th while we record this episode um, with Boston uh, currently trailing to the Milwaukee Bucks in that game. So it's been a good good series between those two teams so far. Uh, another great series brewing in the East is the 76ers versus the Miami Heat. Uh, obviously, the without jo- uh, Joel Embiid, The 76ers are a much different team. James Harden was easier to guard, uh, averaging well under his season average is what the Heat were holding him to. Well, in comes the return of Joel Embiid in Game 3 and Game 4, and he added the juice that the 76ers needed, as well as that hometown crowd that really believes in this this team right now. Uh, Joel Embiid was donning the Batman mask as he is recovering from his concussion slash right orbital fracture. Uh, He's also got another injury that's been plaguing him, but really his first game back, even though he didn't have uh, the same type of performance that he did normally throughout the season, it helped the all-around stats for the 76ers as they were much harder to guard uh, when you add that different factor in. Um, They had a negative rebound margin uh, with Joel Embiid out, and then they flipped that script in Game 3 and and out-rebounded the Heat in that game with Joel Embiid collecting 11 rebounds while also dropping 18 points. Uh, three or four total starters scored in double figures with uh, Danny Green and Tyrese Maxey leading the way with 21 points apiece. Um, Jimmy Butler continues to play phenomenally uh, in this series. He had 33 in game three and dropped, uh, what was it, 40 points in game four. But James Harden would had a vintage James Harden game in game four, 31 points, seven rebounds, nine assists. He got to the foul line, which is something that we had talked about as an X factor for the 76ers team is Joel Embiid and James Harden getting the free throw line. Uh, Both of them had double digit attempts in game four with Joel Embiid making nine of 13 and James Harden making nine of 10. Uh, Joel Embiid had 24 points, 11 rebounds, and obviously James Harden chipped in 31 as well uh shout out to iowa state alumni uh george niang playing some significant minutes in that game uh 21 minutes while adding 10 points as well uh so good on uh george niang let's hop over to the west uh where both of these series are also identically very close um the Suns and the Mavs series is all locked up at two games apiece as the dallas mavericks just completed uh another Great performance behind Luka Doncic. Uh, the seam, the Suns do seem to go as CP3 goes. Uh, that was obviously one of the things that plagued them last season in the playoffs when he got injured. Uh, but they were plagued by foul trouble in Game 4, especially from CP3 as he fouled out early in the fourth quarter. And Devin Booker just didn't have enough to will this team to victory. Uh, Luka Doncic has been absolutely nothing but 
uh, phenomenal in his playoff career. Uh, Sunday afternoon, when the Mavericks took the court, Don- it marked Doncic's 20th career playoff game, and throughout those games, he scored 655 total points. Uh, he is third in NBA history to do that, as Michael Jordan and Wilt Chamberlain are the only two players to top him in points total in their first 20 playoff games. Uh, Doncic also holds the second highest scoring playoff average in league history at 32.8 points per game. Uh, Michael Jordan is the only player to eclipse that average as he averaged 33.4 post points per game in his postseason career. So phenomenal stuff from the 23 year old. Uh, that series is, is very, very interesting. Uh, it's, it's great to see the Mavericks coming back as they struggled very early uh, in the Utah Jazz series without Doncic on the court. So they they made it through that. They survived and advanced, and now they're playing phenomenally. Um, over in the Warriors and the Grizzlies series, Game Three b- brought some controversy, but the Warriors ended up blowing ended up blowing out the Grizzly in that game um, with a final score of one forty two to one twelve. Everything was working for Stephon Curry and Clay Thompson in that game, but the controversy came, uh, I believe, in the third quarter when uh, Jordan Poole was going for a loose ball and in slow-mo it looks a lot different than it does in real time Um, but he kind of is swiping for the ball but instead gets John Morant's knee Uh, this leaves John Morant in some significant pain and he uh, later did not uh, he played for the majority of the game 36 minutes but after the game was was not not feeling too great, and they have already ruled him out for Game Four. Uh, his status for the rest of the of the series is up in the air still at this point. But the good news for the Memphis Grizzlies is uh, no fear without John Morant on the court this season with him on the court. They are only thirty five and twenty one, which is still a great record. But without him, they are twenty and four. So the rest of the team steps up when they need to. And this series will be interesting to see uh, if the ja- if the Grizzlies can come back or bounce back from that tough blowout loss and make up for the injured Ja Morant. Uh, another big storyline ahead of Game 4 is Warriors coach Steve Kerr won't coach in Game 4 after testing positive for COVID. Uh, so they will be relying on the staff to coach this game. So will be will be an interesting series. Uh, we will get you all tuned in to everything NBA, hopefully with the with the beautiful voice of Ariane Barry. And that will be uh next week. So Mike with the NBA continuing to uh roll along in the postseason, how is how's the NHL shaping up right now? The NHL um is about halfway through um the first round. Um like I said it's gonna be a little bit quicker than the NBA because they do play every other day. Um, to me, the story of um, the season for um, the NHL has, or the playoffs has been very competitive series, but not very competitive games. Um, so if we look at the series, right, um, most series have played either two or four, no, excuse me, most series have played either three or four games. Um, of the series that have played four games, all of them are tied 2-2. Two, two. 
and of the series that have played three games, three of them are two games to one, and there's one series that's three out. So you've got seven series that I would consider um, pretty competitive um, at this point. Everybody but the Nashville Predators has won at least one playoff game in their series through three games. Um, So that's um, really competitive. But the games have not been that close. There's only been one game total across all the series that have been um, to overtime. And there's been only, uh, it's either two or three one-goal games, period. Um, so there's been a lot of lopsided scores um, in these games. I mean, if I just look at the the Wild Blues series, I'll take for an example. Right? The Blues won game one, four to nothing. The Wild won game two, six to two. The Wild won game three, five to one. And the Blues won game four, five to two. Um, like none of those games were particularly close. Game four was a little bit closer than that. It was a one goal game with about four minutes left but the Blues ended up pulling away, right? You just haven't had that many close games. Um, the Avalanche have hung seven on the Predators twice. Um, you've had uh, two six-goal differences in the Oilers-Kings series. Just all kinds of, of, of blowouts and, and things of the like. Lots of goals, an extraordinarily high number of goals in the playoffs. Um, so that that's been my observation. There hasn't been much else that's been uh, super abnormal. It's been fun to see all these competitive series. But yeah, competitive series, not very competitive games, which is interesting. So we'll see if that trend continues going on into next week when there are – or this next week. Um, all of these first-round series will, will wrap up sometime um, within the next week. So we'll have our conference semifinal matchups set um, next week. Um, and we'll fill you in on all of those um, in next week's episode and see if we've had more competitive games by then. Um, in Mike's Stupid Rules this week, um, we're going to not necessarily talk about a rule per se, but an interesting umpire interaction that happened earlier this week. This interaction was between um, umpire veteran umpire Dan Bellino and veteran starting pitcher Madison Bumgartner. So those of you who follow baseball know that Madison Bumgartner isn't necessarily known for being the most agreeable player there is. Um, like he, he's not dirty or cheap or anything like that. He's just, you know, always a little bit upset, which, you know, is fair, whatever. Um, I don't fault him for that. Um, but anyway, so he had a little bit of a rough first inning and didn't get at least one, maybe two, um, uh, calls that he wanted to get um, in the first inning. And then Dan Bellino was, I believe, the first base umpire, comes over to him to do the sticky substance check um, on his hand, right, as umpires are required to do um, still as we're cracking down on that in Major League Baseball. And um, Madison Bumgartner, at least it seemed to me like he wasn't particularly happy with how long um, that substance check was taking. And after it was over, he said something to Dan Bellino, and Dan Bellino tossed him um, right away, just like that. Um, so, yeah, that was it. Was a very quick hook. Um, Medicine Bumgarten was obviously upset getting tossed in the first inning, um, but yeah, it was, it was just a very, very weird um, situation. Uh, Dan Bellino did actually come out afterwards and apologized for um, 
such the quick the quick trigger. Um, we'll never know exactly what happened. Um, they generally don't uh, publicize these things completely. But um, yeah, that was it. Was just an interesting thing. You should go take a look at the video about it. It's yeah, it's something that people were afraid of during these sticky substance checks, right? If you have a pitcher who's disagreeing on ball and strike calls, and then you bring the umpire and the pitcher right next to each other, right at the end of that inning, as has to happen by rule, occasionally you're going to get unfortunate situations like this will happen. Both of them probably regret what happened here. Um, you, don't, you never like to see players get thrown out for little things like that. Um, but, yeah, that's what can happen when you get people who are fired up and intense and you bring them right next to the people they're upset with. Weird things can happen. So... I don't know. Dan Bellino was probably wrong. Madison Bumgarten was probably wrong too. He probably said something he shouldn't have. Either way, everyone just needs to calm down a little bit during these substance checks and we'll be good and nothing will happen. So any questions on that? I know it wasn't really a rule, but something to talk about. No, it was just it was just really awkward. I don't know. It was just a very awkward interaction between the two. Um I agree that, you know, is it the best idea to have uh, pitchers and umpires coming together, especially with the the year of the umpire right now, with how many um, calls that you're seeing that, that people are upset about? Um, but uh, the umpiring has not been that bad this year. Maybe it's just been exacerbated a little bit. But it has. People are blowing it out of proportion. It hasn't been that bad, in my opinion, at least. But, I mean... It's part of the game. They're they're allowed to be upset, and yes, there's stuff that it gets you tossed, right? But I think Dan Bellino could have been, you know, justified by holding off just a little bit longer, uh, especially with the nature of the hand caressing that he was going through. Um, yeah, while was not a, even was looking, def- while not even looking at his hand either. Yeah, it was definitely a little bit of a, a, an extended. Um, sticky substance check there for sure. So, oh well, that's it. Uh, so while we can sit here and critique, c- wow, critique. Sorry, uh, Dan Bellino. We also we also need to critique ourselves. So thank you for Mike for uh, graciously volunteering to always hold us accountable. Mike, what? How did we do this week? This week was actually a uh, a pretty good week. Um, for actually it wasn't, I lied. It was, it was a, it was about an average week for, um, write that down predictions. Um, so with three predictions that came off the board. Um, so the first one, um, was from Kyle. He predicted that, um, Gabe Kalsher, um, would come back next year, um, for the Cyclones. He did announce, um, on his social media, that he would be coming back. Um, we retweeted it and got Gabe Kalsher and his mom to like our post. So shout out to Gabe Kalsher and his mom for liking our, our uh, Twitter post. Uh, follow us back. You're awesome. Um, he is coming back. So Kyle, the prediction is correct. So you get a ding, 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 ding. Um, next off the board is from Ariane that there would be at least one sweep in the second round of the NBA playoffs. Um, as we talked about, all the series are either 2-1 or 2-2, so no sweeps. So Aaron gets a nah. Nah. And Wyatt predicted last week that the Wild would beat the Blues in four. That prediction lasted all of, like, 
three hours because the Wild had lost game one within like three hours of Wyatt making that prediction. So for that, Wyatt gets a nah. nah. That that's it. The just the three of them for um, just the three of them uh, this week. So as usual, I will get started um, putting a prediction back on the board. Um, I am uh, I'm going to go to the world of F1 um, this this week for my prediction. I know very unexpected, but uh, I watched some of that race or I watched some of the highlights of that race um, in Miami. So making a prediction. I'm going to say that Max Verstappen, currently in second place in the driver's standings, is going to end up winning the the, uh, the driver's championship. He's going to pass, pass Leclerc at some point and win the driver's championship. All right, Wyatt. How, how, do we feel, how do we feel about the Red Bull power unit? Because Verstappen has won every single race that he has finished. Oh, and I mean, one more first place win and a Charles Leclerc retirement would be extra stabbing in first place already. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like Red Bull is going to be like Ferrari a la 20, was that 2018, 2019, when they had the fuel sensor thing that they were cheating. I feel like Red Bull's got to be doing something like that. I just don't know what it is. So there's a possibility that they get knocked for something along those lines, or they're actually just... I mean, there's always that really possibility, good. right? Yeah, yeah, of course, but I feel like they're so dang good this year. I, I just don't know. I feel like this is a pretty safe bet, though. I do I, as well. I mean, I'm he's like the double. reigning champion. Yeah, I would say a double. I'd say a double. I'm, I'm fine with a double for, for that. I'll take a double. Do you have anything from Josh this week? Is he still alive? Yes. Um, he, uh, so the Brewers just played the Reds um, this past weekend, so Josh got to see firsthand how uh, bad the – Reds are, and he is predicting um, that the Reds will not get to more than 40 wins this year. Um, that may be the worst um, in baseball history. It is not. The worst in baseball history is 20 wins in the, for the 1899 Cleveland Spiders. Um, okay, so is it the, the worst turned? in the modern era? Yeah, because... How many games? No, did play that 1962. There's a 40 to 120. Yeah, so the modern era in MLB uh, starts in 1900. I know, very modern. Um, only three. F- there's only uh, five teams that have 40 or less wins since then. Yeah, there's um, one in 1904, 38, 113. So. Yeah, yeah. There are four teams um, with less 40 or less wins um, since then. Now, not all of them played. 162 games. The most in any of those is 160 games by the 1962 Mets, who finished 40 and 120. Um, so this would essentially be saying the Reds are one of, if not the worst team in Major League history. That's a pretty bold claim. That That is a pretty bold claim. They're bad. I don't know if they're that bad. Yeah, I, I don't think for, they are. For, for reference, um, Fangraphs projects them to win 66 ball games. Um, 538 projects them to win 67 ball games. So to me, this is a home run. Yeah, a solid home run. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely no disagreement from me. But they are probably only going to get worse from here because they're probably going to trade some more pitchers at the deadline. So, Dipping back into the territory of Formula One, 
Kyle predicted that Mercedes would win the World Constructors Championship a couple weeks ago. I'm going to come back and after this Miami GP, put in that Ferrari will win the World Constructors Championship this year. So, uh, so just as, are, as a brief, yeah, go ahead. I say they are currently in first place um, after Miami. So, but as as Kyle alluded to, Red Bull is probably the actual powerhouse here. Um, we don't know. And and as as quick refresher. Constructors or teams are awarded points, um, which is the, the sum of the points their drivers score. Just FYI, that so is correct. I, man, I mean, okay, this. Let's be honest. This is a two-headed race between Red Bull and Ferrari, and much, no other, yeah. no other team. I for right now, I don't see any other team really pulling this out. It's still early in unless the season. All these, unless mind. all these, right. Unless all these wild improvements that George Russell and Lewis Hamilton keep on hinting to is going to change what Mercedes is doing, but and they might as of right now, the way into the season. Say how many races are there in the F1 season? Um, They race all the way until November. Is the last race twenty three this year? I think is what's on the calendar. I'd have to double check. I think it's twenty three though, and we're five in. Five in. So. Yeah, still very a early quarter, in the season. A quarter or so of the way through the year. It's like week four of the NFL season. Uh, I'm stuck on double. I mean, I'm fine with that. I trust your F1 expertise over my own. So I will say I, I, I wanted a triple. I, but I, I'm, still, I'm fine with I, double. I still think Ferrari's got, got a couple more things coming too. So they got to fix that porpoising, man. I'm actually kind of betting against myself, though, oddly enough, because I do not think they will actually win. But we'll find out. They certainly could. Double it, it is. is. Sounds like. What do you got, Kyle? Yeah, so my prediction, trying to get this on the board before the end of the write-that-down season, is that the Royals will not score more than 10 runs in all first innings combined by the end of May. So, so let me clear this up so, a little bit. The Royals will not score a total of like 11 or more than or equal to is what I'll say 10 runs like in all first innings combined by the end of May 30th end of day does, May 30th does that count the one run in the first inning today or not that does count the one run today so so what I'm saying is leading up to like everything prior to this everything up to May 30th they will not score more than they will not score more than 10 runs in all of those first innings because they're currently at six. Oh, oh so oh, you're not saying okay. 10 more. You're saying 10 total for the I'm season. I'm saying 10, right. Uh, yeah, through the season up until May 30th. Got it. Okay, I okay. got you. That, that's Sorry. a very big difference. Sorry, through the 30th. Yes, that's a very big play. difference. Like, yeah. no way that's Because they're already at then, six. Yeah. Gotcha. They're already at six. So they're already at six, and I believe I believe right now, according to Baseball Reference, they're scoring zero point two zero runs per inning on average. Yeah, I mean that would sort of make sense with what I'm seeing. Um, they currently have scored a total of seventy nine runs on the year in twenty eight games, so that that about matches. Um, sorry, twenty six games. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Will not score more than ten. Double, triple. I don't know. Ain't no way that's a double. Ah, uh, it's probably a triple. I'm fine with the triple. This one's really um, 
hard to quantify, but I'm fine I'm, with the triple. I'm down with that. Triple it is. I, I think from I think they're I think their offense will heat up with the weather. So do we have anything from Arian this week? Is he still alive? Yes, he is still alive. Um, he had uh, dental surgery today, so that's why he couldn't join us. And so, in car trouble. What a day. Yeah, it was not a great day for Ariane. So get better. Get your car better. We hope you're back next week. We miss you. Um, but he did get me a prediction. So he said that the Celtics and Bucks series would go seven games. Um, so even now that the bull, or the, excuse me, that the Bucks are up, um, they're up two one right now, and uh, currently winning game three. Or sorry, winning game four. Said the series is still going to go seven. I think the Bucks have this game or this series in the bag. Is this a triple? Well, let's see. So if we assume the Bucks win this game, um, and let's just do that for argument's sake, though it's far from over. Um, that would give the Celtics the Celtics. It would it means that the series would have to go seven games, right, for the Celtics to win it, and the Celtics um, with this loss would only have about a twenty-five percent chance of winning the series. So it seems like a double to me. Yeah, I guess Fine. the stats make it a double, but it just feels like a triple. Feels yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to a triple, but I'm leaning towards double. So sorry, Ariane, if we shortchanged you a little bit. Maybe you can argue for yourself next time. Yeah, since you want you to argue for yourself, we'll let you argue for yourself next week. Um, Very good. With three doubles, a home run, and a we gave Kyle a triple, right? Oh yeah, I I should type that, otherwise I'll forget. Got to be in the record. Three doubles, a triple, and a home run. That includes our Write That Down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening to episode 175 of the 8311 cast. Appreciate y'all sticking around the, the episode this far. While you're here, if you're not already, make sure you follow our Twitter and Instagram accounts. Those are our two official social medias, at 8311cast, while you wait for next week's episode 176 to drop. But until then, signing off for the 8311 cast, we have your hosts, Kyle Mersh. Mike Ludwig and Wyatt Teeter. Talk to y'all again next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.